All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I would typically turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. But since Jeff is off for this weekend's show, I will go into those numbers for a holiday shortened past week on Wall Street. Now, the Dow Jones Industrial Average for this past week was down 2%. The S&P 500 was down 1.2%, and the NASDAQ was down nine-tenths of 1%. So that brings the year-to-date total so far. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 1.8% for the year. The S&P 500 is up 14.6% for the year. And the NASDAQ still leading the pack of all the major indexes up 30.5% year-to-date. So holiday shortened week, Joe, uh, definitely light volume across the board. And I would say that what really kind of triggered some of the selling that we saw in the latter half of the week after the July 4th holiday was that very robust ADP employment report. Well, if you're looking at the employment report and you're looking at what the Fed's mandate is, you know, ain't no fun till the Fed is done is is kind of we're looking at. They are on the tail end. They are on the tail end. And and actually Friday we had a little bit of a bounce and then the market actually uh, lost its steam. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it lost its steam. Now, what what occurred, uh, I believe it came out on Thursday, the ADP report, which stands for Automatic Data Processing, so one of the largest payroll providers in the country, came out and said that it was about 479,000 jobs were created in the month of June. Now, that definitely woke the market up, and we're in this situation where good news is sometimes bad news for the market, as Jeff likes to call it, the perversion of the market. And that absolutely held true on Thursday because we saw yields across the Treasury uh, yield curve you know, bump up and go higher. In fact, on Thursday, we saw the two-year Treasury up north of 5%, and we even saw the 10-year Treasury going above 4%. Now, I believe it was because it's been a couple of weeks since we've had a new MoneyWise program. I think a couple weeks back, 
Jeff made a comment on the show, or maybe it was just in one of our portfolio strategy skull sessions where he said, if we get the 10-year treasury with a four handle or a 4% or above handle, that that could cause some issues for the stock market. Now, whether that continues to hold true, I know on Friday I had a lengthy conversation with dad concerning the fixed income market. And he and I, I mean, my apple doesn't fall too far from his tree because I feel kind of like how he was feeling, that he feels that we're starting to get close to the peak in interest rates. Because like you said, Joe, if the Fed is almost done, whether it's going to be one increase of a half of 1%, if it's going to be two more increases in July and in September, the Fed, for all intents and purposes, is pretty much done and isn't as big of a front-page piece of news when it comes to driving the market. Well, it kind of bodes a question. I was, I was having a conversation during lunch on Friday, and it's like, when do you start buying duration in bonds? And we were talking, Kyle, you and I are talking Friday about pretty highly rated, uh, a high-grade corporate bond fund paying, a, I think, a yield of maturity over 6%. And, you know, there's a trade-off. Yeah, we're having rates that are going up and they've peaked, but how long will we be able to buy actually maybe some really good quality, good quality fixed income? Um, with a pretty high yield of maturity to actually, and if you're a moderate investor, help with your risk down the road when you retire. Instead of, all right, if you go back to a 60-40 allocation of stocks to bonds, you have 40% of your portfolio getting north of 4% on a yield of maturity. You've got a lot, a heck of a lot more stability, and you don't have to do as much work as you might have three or four years ago. So you kind of take this rate hike with a grain of salt. And, you know, historically, historically, that's what a portfolio maybe should look like is when you have some bonds in there getting a, a, a better yield of maturity versus one or two or three or what we've seen the last 15 years. Well, for the, yeah, for the last 15 years, we were, able, we were barely able to get above a 1% yield of maturity. And for all of our listeners, yield to maturity means total return for the bond on an annualized basis from the day you buy it until the day it matures. And so that when we talk about yield maturity, and this is a, you know, a good educational piece because there's so many bond investors that just get lured into buying a particular bond just based on its coupon. And the coupon is the interest, the semi-annual interest that the bond is paying you. But that's not total return of that bond because that's what yield to maturity takes into account. Are you buying the bond at par value? Are you buying it at a premium? Or are you buying it at a discount? So I'm not going to get too much deeper in the weeds for any listener that wants a deeper bond education. I've got about a five-page write-up that I gave to a client in Houston when they wanted a 50,000-foot overview, and they kind of came back to me and said, that's enough. I don't want to know anymore. And I said, actually, I gave you a 100,000-foot overview of the bond market. So go ahead, Joe. Yeah, and if you want a copy of that, you may you can contact Kyle, and if you got about four hours, you can read it. I, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's about four hours, yeah. Well, it's, you know, just email moneywise at davidsandcap.com. But, but see, but that's something that for all investors, all listeners need to keep in mind, is that if you're working with someone that doesn't have the level of expertise in actively managing fixed income like we've been doing here at Davidson Capital Management for 34 years, and you go, oh, I want a, a 65 or 7% bond portfolio, well, sure, it's very easy to go out there and find bonds that have a coupon rate of 7 8 9%, but what is your total yield to maturity? Your yield to maturity might be 3%. It might be 3.5% total return. 
And so your portfolio is going to receiving, be receiving a lot less total return than what you think. And so don't get lured in by the coupon of a bond. You have to look at yield to maturity, and that's why – on the MoneyWise program, and anytime we sit down with a prospective client or current client, when we educate about bonds, we're always talking about yield to maturity because that's the annualized total return on that bond, which includes those interest payments and whether or not we bought it at a premium or discount. So let's pause the conversation right there. Let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. MoneyWise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps. You can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, continuing to recap the holiday shortened trading week on Wall Street, uh, broader indexes across the board were down, were negative for the week. Uh, very light trading volume, which is to be expected. You know, I think a lot of the, the A players, the, the bigger money managers, were kind of still on an extended uh, July 4th holiday, especially uh, considering how strong the first half of 2023 was. Um, and so, <clears throat> you know, looking, looking, and, and actually not even looking, continuing, I wanted to continue a little bit about the conversation. We were talking and just giving a brief uh, education about bonds and making sure that individual bond buyers are not getting lured in by just the coupon or the interest payment that that bond makes and that you have to understand what yield to maturity is. And Joe, you're making the comment, and this was actually, a, you know, sorry, Dad, I know he's listening to the show. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag about a bond that he bought on Friday. And it was a investment grade. It was uh, a very large uh, uh, money center bank where he was able to put his money out many years in you know many years into the future and paying a 6% total return yield to maturity in that bond and it was non-callable which you know in some instances you know we're not big fans of callable bonds because we want to know the very specific date of when that bond matures and not having bonds particularly get called away after doing all the work of finding it putting it into our clients' portfolios only for it to be called away three months later. So we're not big proponents of that. We like to find non-callable bonds. But as we were talking about how interest rates ramped up this past week and it really being triggered from the very robust ADP uh, private employment report that came out on Thursday, you know, seeing a two-year treasury above 5%, seeing a 10-year treasury. In fact, the 10-year treasury yield ended on Friday, closed on Friday up, 4.06%. And so, Joe, you were making the comment in the last segment, you know, it's a traditional 60-40 portfolio. Well, for the last 15 years, the 40% of the 60-40 wasn't really doing any heavy lifting. They weren't doing much, and we've been talking about it on this program. And as we kind of use acronyms on the show, which I know drives my wife crazy every time she hears us talking about the acronyms, the, the Terra, there are reasonable alternatives 
this is where Jeff, a few weeks ago on the MoneyWise program, is saying that a four-year treasury, a, four, a 4% treasury bond can create competition for the stock market. And with interest rates ramping up and going up as they have this past week, we saw some steam being let out of the equity market because of it. And, I mean, we've been taking advantage of it all year. In fact, one thing that we did do in the portfolios on Friday is that I was raising cash, getting cash ready for our next treasury purchase for our client accounts across the board because we're just incrementally continuing to build our treasury bond portfolio for all of our clients here at Davidson Capital Management taking advantage of these higher rates. And we're doing it. Yeah, go ahead, Joe. Well, I want to make a comment about your dad going and buying this corporate bond that we were talking about. And keep in mind, this is scalable. He went on, he went through trading system and bought it and he found it. But for us, a manager of multiple millions of dollars, it's really hard for us to fill that order because to find a corporate bond like that, it's almost like looking at a needle in a haystack and you don't, there's just not enough inventory for us to go out and make a major purchase like that. So you have to understand when you're dealing with money managers, sometimes they can't make a $20, $30 million purchase or $10 million purchase in that, in that particular, uh, that particular issue because there's just not enough of it. Yeah. And sometimes you can't even make a million dollar purchase. See, and that, and I'm glad that you brought up that point because there are some very attractive bonds out there, but when you're the manager, when you're an active manager of other people's assets, you have to have enough bond inventory available. And I've actually been in the bond inventory and seen bonds disappear as I'm actually physically looking at them. That's how fast they move. It's not like a stock where you have, you know, hundreds of millions of, of shares floating around that you can go and not have to worry about any kind of inventory issues. With bonds, it's a whole different thing. The way I always educate about bonds, they're like used cars. And if that used car goes across the auction block and somebody is a higher bidder and gets it before you can get there, the car is gone. And that's the way it works in the bond market. But in the treasury market, they have abundance of inventory. In fact, was even seeing some new bonds being issued by the treasury this past week. And we know that they're going to be doing this for many months to come to refill all the coffers, to refill their coffers that got depleted during the whole debt ceiling debate. And so... We're just going to continue to block and tackle and continue to build our treasury portfolio. But getting back to the overall portfolio of a 60-40, being able to have 40%, your fixed income side of your portfolio with north of 4% yield maturities means that you can take less risk. It means you don't have to stick your neck out too far pre-retirement or post-retirement into the equity market. And so you can actually reduce your overall risk or beta in your portfolio. And so for us, as a tactically balanced manager and have been for the last 34 years, will be for the next 34 years, it's it's a relief to us. Now, granted, the stock market took the brunt of the hit last year with the Federal Reserve raising rates as far and as fast as they did. But in the long run, that is the silver lining for pre-retirees and retirees is there's finally another asset class other than stocks that can provide growth and return in your portfolio. And so that is the silver lining. But 2022 was definitely a painful year for a lot of investors. Well, one of the things I was looking at, and we were going over statistics to the kind of the middle of the year, um, and you look at the S&P, 
which is up oh close to 15% for the year. And there's another index called the equally weighted S&P. And I was checking that out as Friday's close. So I can't remember a time when the S&P 500, the market-weighted S&P 500, is up 15%, and the equally-weighted S&P is about up 5%. That's a 10% spread. In the, so when you look at these little, what they call a Callan chart that has all these asset classes, my case is maybe you should actually throw an equally-weighted S&P up there too. Because if you look at the if you look at proper diversification and what we we did last year, making sure we don't have more than 1% in any one particular stock, which is equally weighted, it's like a tale of two cities. You look at the beginning of this year, and the market-weighted S&P took off. AI had, had a big uh, had something to do with it, but it also had a lot of – uh, a lot of to do with these mega cap stocks being beaten down last year. And, you know, and, and, and some of these companies aren't going anywhere. And, and so, I don't know. I well, just thought that was kind of interesting. It's a pretty big spread between the equally weighted and the market weighted S&P. And I don't and, remember the last time the spread was that large. So No, I, I've never seen the spread this large. I mean, I've only been doing this 25 years, and you've been doing it, you know, what, 28, going on 29? Uh, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, for a long time. 52-year-old. Yeah. So, so the, so the, I mean, you're absolutely right, Joe. And I read an article just Friday from Market Watch where they were talking about the equally weighted. And we're starting to finally see the breadth of the market starting to spread out. We're starting to see some other stocks other than technology involved in artificial intelligence starting to get some buying. And one thing for Friday, I mean, even though the S&P was negative for Friday, the, the NASDAQ, the, the Dow, we actually saw the small caps actually getting bought. We saw the small caps actually have positive return on Friday. And so that's kind of what we want to see. We also want to see the large cap value space, which has really has just been an underperformer this year. And, and you know, for, for full disclosure, we participate in the large cap value arena because you're talking yields north of 3.4% in our ETF that we utilize that is a dividend income payer. And so the underlying securities have not really gotten a bid. They're not getting bought. And so we feel as the market breadth starts to widen away from all this concentration in AI, which, of course, we own those positions too, then we're going to see the other half, you know, or, you know, a little bit less than the other half of our portfolios starting to be contributing more to the overall equity returns on the, I'd say, 50% side of our portfolio. Because for our moderately allocated portfolios, we're at all, for all intents and purposes, 50-50. We're on both sides of the fence. But on the equity side of the portfolio, we've got growth exposure, we have value exposure, but we're really just very much rooted in growth at a reasonable price. And as we said at the last segment, you know, the Fed, whether it's one more interest rate increase, maybe two, they're really coming to the end of the trail. And I think that in and around here in the next couple of weeks, two to three, maybe four weeks, we'll be seeing the interest rate environment really peaking out. And so if you find yourself not owning enough treasuries, not owning enough fixed income, you know, this is the time to take advantage of it. Because as when we come back from the next commercial break, we'll talk about the jobs numbers, the employment report, the official employment report that came out on Friday. And so we'll do that after this break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise, guys, will be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So Friday was the big job employment numbers from June. And it was reported on Friday that the jobs that were created in June were below expectations. In fact, 209,000 jobs were created in the month of June. That brought the unemployment number to 3.6%. One thing interesting, Joe, is that they actually dialed back the job growth for May. I believe job growth in May was close to 340,000. They actually lowered it to 306,000. And then the U6, which is what I, being an employment statistic nerd as I am, the U6 number ticked up to 6.9%, which is what I really consider the true total unemployment number of 6.9%. The other thing that was interesting, Joe, is that the average hourly earnings did tick up four-tenths of 1% for an average hourly earning of $33.58 for the month of June. So, like you were saying earlier in the show, Joe, the Fed's got two mandates, price stability and full employment. And I know Congress and all the politicians are wringing their hands, and they're so concerned that the the, the Fed is on this, I don't want to use the word crash course, but they're on this path where they will sacrifice jobs in order to have price stability. They will sacrifice one of their two mandates for the other. And that, of course, has politicians concerned. And I would say it really has politicians concerned that are sitting on the left side of the aisle because the last thing that these politicians on the left side of the aisle want is to see the economy roll into a recession as we're going into the presidential election in 2024 and starting to see a lot of layoffs and the employment numbers coming in zero. That's the last thing they want just to tame inflation. So I would say that the Democrats are a lot more concerned than the Republicans. Well, and they, they could also be concerned if we even have any type of, uh, I mean, we've talked about it, Kyle, and we all can kind of agree that we think if we have a recession and it, that it's going to be a pretty soft landing and a, and a relatively soft recession, especially the job numbers that we're looking at. But you look at, you know, big number next week, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, is you have the CPI no, number coming out next CPI. Wednesday. That's so right. there's a lot of Fed information coming out next week. And, you know, and obviously – as Jeff would always talk about, it's it's the E, it's the earnings. And guess what we have next week? We have the big money center banks uh, next week coming out with earnings. J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, Wells Fargo, the big boys, if you will. So right mm-hmm. now we're jumping right back into earnings season um, uh, from that perspective. But and, 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 and I would say for any home gamers, you know, definitely make sure you have some powder dry. I mean, as we've been doing and have talked about on this show, we've just been incrementally stair-stepping and increasing our equity exposure really, again, at more of a snail's pace. You know, we're letting the data come to us because, you know, again, 
Whether the Fed is done raising interest rates or not, that's up for debate. It depends on which side of the fence you sit, sit bullish or bearish. You know, we know we know the bearish analysts that are out there. We know the bullish analysts that are out there. But, you know, talking about statistics of the market, and since we have now gotten through halftime for the stock market for 2023, I did find some interesting statistics that I wanted to relay to all of our listeners. And this information comes from Fundstrat. And I'm just I'm just going to to read this directly off this article from Market Watch. So, in 22 instances, when the S&P 500 has finished the first half of the year up more than 10 percent since 1950, the median return for the second half of that year is up 8 percent with an 82 percent win ratio. Okay, so since 1950, if the S&P 500 has ended the first half of the year up 10%, which we did, in fact, ended well above 10%, there's an 82% win ratio that the market is going to be positive for the second half of the year with the average return of 8% in addition to what it already did the first half of the year. Now, get this, Joe. Among the nine instances when the S&P 500 ended negative in the prior year, as we did in 2022, but recorded over a 10% gain in the first half of the following year, the median return for the second half is 12% with an 89% win ratio. So what you're essentially saying is there's a really, really good chance like going to Vegas type odds, if you get a chance, the gambling is illegal in Texas, as we well know. But <laughs> yeah. what I'm getting, what, but it, what I'm getting at is, there's a very high probability that the second half of the year is going to be finished somewhere between eight and twelve percent. And you know, you have to look at where you are in your allocation. You should have got your 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 statement for the second part of the year. If you're sitting in your twenty thirty percent stocks because you felt burned last year. You know, you need to reevaluate that because there is still some room for this market to run. And if we're talking about the S&P here, just to clarify, we're talking about the market-weighted S&P versus the equally-weighted S&P, correct, Kyle? So we that, that's talked correct. a little bit about that, but the market-weighted S&P, that's up 15%. And what we mean market-weighted weight is market cap. You know, the right. S&P 500 index is market cap, and market cap is, again, the value of this number of shares that are in existing shareholders' hands. We're equally weighted. Everyone has an equal playing field across the board for all the companies, regardless of your market capitalization. You know, in this past week, what was it? You know, Apple eclipsed $3 trillion market cap. I mean, their market capitalization, I don't even know how many countries their market capitalization is bigger than so many countries' GDP. I I mean – I want to point something out because there's a couple of tech tech companies out there, uh, Meta and Twitter. And the real, if we're talking about Vegas, all right, what would the odds be on a cage match between Zuckerberg and Musk? There's a lot of, was it 30 million? Is it whatever the new Twitter type app Meta has? Bread. It's called Threads. Threads. Yeah. And I just love them going at it. I think it's actually great. It's very entertaining well, to watch here's a, billionaires do, you know, fight in a duel. 
Yes. Uh, Through social media. Well, I did read on Friday there's a high probability that Elon Musk is actually going to be suing uh, Meta and Zuckerberg due to potential proprietary software that Elon is claiming is now in this new threads. But I've also heard, you know, of course, Zuckerberg, you know, not, not to mention that he donated over $400 million in dark money to the Democratic Party for the election back in 2020, that threads was going to be free, open, free speech. Well, I've already been hearing reports and reading reports that that's absolutely not true and that people get banned very, very quickly if they even question the election of 2020. So where is the public square of free speech? And I know that this past week, I believe it was a federal judge that told the Biden administration that they need to stop pressuring social media companies from basically uh, holding down free speech and stop trying to manipulate them to only run their narrative. But, I mean, this is all they have to, 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 to grasp for because they sure as heck cannot run on Bidenomics. Are you kidding me? What genius in his cabinet came up with that? Let's tout how great the economy is doing? You mean with lowering, you know, with GDP coming down? And I know he seems to think that he's created – 13, 14 million jobs. No, these are people just going back to work after <laughs> yeah. the pandemic shut down. Just like Obama trying to take some huge credit for how well uh, GDP was during his tenure in the White House when he takes the Oval Office two months before the generational low of the S&P, or the, excuse me, the generational low of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which occurred March 9th of 09. You know, let's not let's not forget that that Obama oversaw the lowest GDP growth going back to Woodrow Wilson for his eight years in the White House. Give me a break. For half a second. For half a second. I'll I'll hop off my soapbox. I I thought I'm on the show with your dad and not you. That was John Sutton right there. I did I did talk to Dad on Friday, so what do you expect? So, you know, I, I, I am his vessel when he's not on the program. I, I notice that I always try to be, you know, middle of the road, but I do agree it's like free speech but free speech according to who? You know, disinformation uh, it's according to, to it's coding to Zuckerberg and all the far left leaners that work at Facebook. Uh, it's always like whoever's in power. It's 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 the definition of according to whoever is the current you know whoever's running the country at the particular time. You but, know. But, but back to what I was saying. So, you know, the market doesn't repeat itself, but there it does rhyme. And so, like you were saying, Joe, uh, you know, there are very strong statistics that go back to 1950 that shows the win percentages when you have a strong first half of the year. And we've said on this program that I think we're going to see a recession I feel that it's going to be mild. I think you would agree. I'm sure Jeff would agree. But now with the data that's come through, I don't know if we're going to be seeing a recession until we get into 2024 because we still have just, again, so much money still left in the coffers from all this freewheeling spending that's been coming out of Washington. And we do see people, again, going back to work. We still have over 9 million jobs available. So anyone that wants to work, there's a lot of jobs available to go out and get and get them. But I also think that as we've talked on past programs, that we could just be having industry by industry rolling recessions where the overall GDP growth does not go negative for two consecutive quarters. But from a industry specific to industry specific, we could see that 
which for all intents and purposes means that we don't go into a recession at all, and it's that soft landing, as you mentioned, Joe. Well, let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, and Joe, I know since you're the director of our corporate retirement plan division, and I know you have been absolutely swamped with enrollment meetings, all of your semi-annual compliance for the 401ks, all the good stuff. I ran across an article this past week from MarketWatch, and it comes from a survey that was done by Fidelity, and Fidelity being you know one of the largest 401k providers out there. And reading through the statistics, and I know in educational meetings we have with the prospective clients, and we've had this conversation on the Money Wise program, but I think it's worthwhile to, to reiterate this because we have listeners of all different ages, all different investment experiences that may or may not have access to different types of retirement plans or corporate or company-sponsored re- retirement plans. But after reading this article, a statistic that I know is held true but was just reiterated from the end of the 2022 survey, it, it, it just still blows my mind. And coming from this article, roughly half of men and women between the ages of 55 and 66 have zero retirement savings. And this is according to the U.S. Census Bureau data. Let I mean, roughly half of 55 to 66-year-olds have zero retirement assets saved. I mean, that just absolutely blows my mind. And so this is me getting on my soapbox for anyone that's listening to us that is working for a company that is providing a 401K, a simple IRA, any type of company-sponsored retirement plan, you have to take advantage of of that plan, especially not just for your own retirement, but especially if your employer is providing any kind of additional profit sharing or matching dollars to that plan, because that is free money that you're leaving on the table. And you have to start, you have to start now. And you could start small. You could start small if you say, well, Kyle, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I can't afford it. Just defer 1%. Start with that. Get used to, to deferring 1%. Then maybe bump it to 2 bump it to 3 get it to 4 and just continuously increase it because I'm here to tell you, listen to me now and believe me later, do not rely on the federal government to take care of you in retirement because we've all talked about on this program the Social Security system and the shortfalls the Social Security system faces. Well, and... Doing a ton of 401k meetings in the last God, month of June, I probably did 50 to 20 of them. 
And one of the things, if you're trying to find discretionary income to put away in your 401k, pay yourself first, okay? But you need to figure out what your budget is. And Kyle and I talked about this. Kyle even did a a TV show where he talks about budgeting and when you hit retirement, making sure sure you, you have that budget available. But it's kind of funny because all these retirement, these 401k providers now have like budgeting software. It, it, it would be great if, like, the federal the federal government actually did that for themselves and figured out a budget that they could work off of. It's almost like, well, you know. Joe, you that's about, too easy. That's know, too easy, that, that, which talk, means it's complicated for the government. You, you talk about numbers, and, you know, the, in general, an advisor will tell you if you got about 20 years till you retire, if you're 45 and you want to retire at 65 or 67, if you could put 10% of your compensation away, the equivalent of 10% of your compensation away every year, you'll be able to hit your goals. Well, if you're doing six and the company's doing four, figure out what that difference is. What is the company match and what do I do to get, what do I need to do to get there uh, to, to where I'm putting in 10% so I could hit my number? Go ahead, Kyle. Well, and, and in this Fidelity report, you know, Fidelity notes that age 50, that you're, you really need to be socking away about six and a half times your annual salary. And then when you're 55 years old, you need to have seven times your annual salary saved in your 401k now if you're saying well kyle i'm 55 i haven't even started so i'm not even going to try you you can't you know always pay yourself first it's never too late to start saving for your retirement you know you cannot rely on the federal government to take care of you in social security but something else that was a part of this article joe and this came from a 2022 van report from vanguard who's another very large 401k platform provider is that the average balance in all their 401k participants accounts, the average is 141,542, which it's something is better than nothing, but that is still extremely low for anyone who's planning and saving for retirement. Now, the one thing I will say about the social security system here in the U S I don't. I can't remember if I've discussed this on previous shows, but this was something we're seeing in some other countries around the world that have Social Security systems, and I think our federal government really, truly needs to look into this. Is and, and I'll use Australia as the best example, which I might have talked about several months ago on this show. But several years ago, the Australian Social Security system, the government decided that we're not just going to invest in government bonds. We're actually going to open up a, a specific percentage of our Social Security trust fund to be buying equities, to be buying stocks. They went from a deficit, Joe, to a 12-plus percent surplus in a matter of a handful of years. Now, why our government chooses to only buy treasury bonds is it's it's beyond me why why can't we just take with with the deficits we see in our social security system maybe take 25 percent of the allocation take 20 percent of the allocation because that will also again when you're talking trillions of dollars that's that's some nice inflows into the stock market wouldn't you say joe yeah President to bring that up was George Bush, and, and they were mocking him about, oh, my God, that's too risky. And what, what imagine if they would have done that when he was a president and just put a little bit in the S&P 500 where you are now? <laughs> we wouldn't, have a, sur- we wouldn't have a surplus. We would not have a deficit like we're facing today. But I mean, at, at the end of the day, for anyone that's listening, even if you don't have an employer-sponsored retirement plan, 
get a Roth IRA, get a traditional IRA, depending upon your income level, since Roth IRAs have income limitations of who can make contributions into it. You have to do something. It's the best way to be able to put money away pre-tax under traditional IRA or 401K or a simple IRA to plan and save for your future. And there's a ton of free calculators that are out there. There's a ton of stuff on the Internet. It's very easy to Google for you to start working on your own personal financial roadmap. But you have to do it today. And don't think that I'm too old and I, I'm too old to start saving for my, for my retirement. It's never too late. And to our young listeners, you have got to start today. And you have to be doing it consistently to set, your, to set yourself up for a very comfortable retirement. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of our breaks. We're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com if you missed the first hour of money wise you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past money wise programs You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at DavidsonCap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, it's about time. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your politeness. Well, as we we like to use and utilize uh, the second hour of every weekend's Money Wise program, really going into investor education, and just, again, the continuing education that all investors need to be paying attention to because with the multitude of investment choices, the multitude of sales outlets, I should say, uh, to be buying different financial products, um, we feel it's our duty having a voice and having this radio show to, to continue to provide that, that education. And there is an article that we've had for some time. We've talked about it on past shows, but it's always good to to reiterate. And it's a conversation I know that I have with prospective clients when it comes to investing. Um, and the, the title of the article is The Best Investment Advice Ever. <laughs> now, there's so much different advice out there, different guidance, different forms and levels of education out there. Um, you know, looking at this article, there's a very old saying that I know we have used 
from day one and of course with us uh you know being in this having davidson capital management for more than 25 years and and again this radio show going on now in our 10th year um looking at at rule number one for the best investment advice ever and that first rule is never lose money rule number two don't forget rule number one and i believe that uh that was one of warren buffett's Famous advice, and of course Warren Buffett being one of the richest men in the world, um, I think uh, it's good. It's good words to live by. And and when I sit down with prospective clients, the one the one area again of education I like to focus on is teaching a prospective client that it's not as much how well you do on the upside when the market is going up; it's how shallow you keep your hole on the downside it's it's whoever plays the best defense is what's really going to build long-term wealth and longevity of a portfolio rule this rule number 1 don't you think it's kind of unrealistic to say never lose money well and 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 again investors need to keep in mind there's a difference between realized losses and unrealized losses or paper losses uh, maybe rule number 1 should should read more like never put all your eggs in one basket never but put, but define never, that okay. define that a little okay. bit more okay, eggs in one basket never put 100% of your money in one asset class how's that Okay. Never put 100% of your money in stocks. Give us an asset class. Like, are Never. you talking sector specific, like all in real estate investment trusts or all in the material sector or all in technology? I think I think really the rule number one to me, and it kind of goes along the same lines as what you're talking about with keeping the hole shallow, is there's no no such thing as never lose money. I mean, every investment – we have never had an investment decision that we've made – in the 25 years as Davidson Capital Management, every investment decision that we've made has not always made money. Some of those investment decisions have lost money. There isn't a single person on the planet that's made an investment decision that hasn't lost money at one time or the other. The the really successful people in investing never lose a lot of money. Now, keeping a that lot whole of money, shallow. keeping the whole shallow, as you were saying, and 2008 is is a great example of keeping the hole the, the hole as shallow as possible because we were never 100 percent invested in stocks that year, and we were also reducing stocks as that year went on, and so we 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 didn't suffer the 35 our clients' portfolios didn't suffer the 35 40. 50% losses that the investors that we saw come to us in 2009 and 2010, and we asked them, you know, how did you do in 2008? And they said, well, I lost 40% or I lost more than 40%. We knew right then and there that they had way too much money in stocks, if not their entire portfolio in stocks, and it wasn't being managed properly, obviously. That's, that's a key. It wasn't actively managed. It was, and again, that set it and forget it. Mentality that set and forget it portfolio. So, the the rule number one, this never lose money, and rule number two, never forget rule number one, is all fine and good, but it's not realistic because if you're going to have a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds, cash, and all different types of asset classes, some of those asset classes aren't going to make money in a particular year. Some will. Uh, some will be more successful than others, 
But I think it's unrealistic to expect to never to lose money in, in investing. Because if, if rule number one, never lose money, that means you're never going to take risk. Which means you're going to be you're going to own CDs. Sorry to take your your thunder away there. You're going to own government bonds and hold them to maturity, or you're going to own CDs or cash, or you're going to have cash. Well, that I don't know too many investors that can reach their retirement goals uh, just by being in cash or government bonds. Well, and again, when you are invested and you're invested in the stock market, even the bond market. When you look at an unrealized gain and loss report, if you're showing some unrealized losses, those are paper losses. Those are losses that you have not taken. It's just on paper. It's just numbers. But that loss can be will become realized if you decide to sell out. And what happened to a lot of investors in 2008 is they watched the ride all the way down. And then they got to their maximum pain threshold, and what did they do? They sold. And for a lot of investors, after they did that sell and the selling they did, they have yet to get back in. That's why we continue to face the very thin market conditions, the whipsawing of the markets, because there's fewer and fewer participants, because they still have not gotten back in, because they're still licking and and taking care of their wounds from 2008, because they sold out and turned those unrealized losses to realized losses. But if they had a proper allocation and having their assets actively managed, they wouldn't have suffered as much pain and distress in their portfolio as we have seen doing our portfolio reviews and analysis of prospective clients. So, well, we're going to pause right there. We're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our investor education and talking about an article titled The Best Investment Advice Ever. And, you know, again, the old Warren Buffett saying, you know, rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. And us just kind of really discussing how that's kind of unrealistic. Uh, Because like Jeff, like you said in the last segment, you're going to run into some type of losses, be it unrealized or realized losses, at some point in time in your investing career, unless you're invested in cash, which isn't an investment, CDs, or government bonds. You know, you have to take a certain level of risk. You have to assume a certain level of risk to have the potential for capital appreciation and growth of your assets to meet your retirement goals or for whatever goals that you're saving for. And, Dad, I know that you wanted to, the big dog wanted to eat a little bit and had something to add to, to what, we were just talking about. Well, I think I originally said this to you when you guys came into the business. Oh, you've been that, saying this f- that, as that, long that, as that, I can remember. These were basic rules of investing. I, I honestly think this is a little bit of a Will Rogers comment. I, I'm not so sure that Warren Buffett didn't steal this from from, from Will Rogers. He never met a man he didn't like. And and and, and what th- this means, you know, this is you know this will be my 37th year starting my 38th year of being a portfolio manager, not counting the four years as a broker and one year in graduate school, so you can add all that up. But when I see this, what this really means to me 
is never lose big money. Never take big losses because you can't come back from them, whether it's financially or even psychologically. Hold on. Let me stop you right there. You just hit an important point. Psychologically. It's the psychological part part of this. Um, A lot of people get in investing. They get in the game, as Jim Cramer calls it. It's not a game. But they get in the game, and they have some moderate success, and then they start building their bet. They start pushing pushing the chips and further and further. And as they build their bet, they will get to the point where they lose. Now, to be successful, the one thing that I have learned in my 37-plus years, to be successful in investing, you have to invest on a regular basis. You just can't do it once in a while. And, if, and you need to take a number of positions because as you take positions, your batting average gets better. And to be successful, it isn't participating when the markets go up, as you said. It's not losing as much going down. So I believe my personal success as an investor has come with my ability to sell. I think I'm a lot better seller than I am a buyer. And and, and one thing that we say in this office, and this was definitely true in 2008, and of course, you know, this was prior to me joining the family's firm back. Jeff, I know you were here back during the dot-com bubble burst, bursting of the, of the dot-coms, um, is that when, cert- when the markets and times just don't make sense, when what's up is down and what's down is up, when there's times where the market doesn't make sense, it never hurts to get more liquid and lay in the weeds. I know that's an old saying, Dad, that I've heard come out of your mouth for years, way before I even joined the family business, that... It's okay sometimes to raise liquidity and lay in the weeds until things get a little clearer. Now, it's important for all investors to understand you're never going to have 100% clarity. The waters are never going to be 100% clear. There's always going to be some level of cloudiness, but in situations like the dot-coms, like 2008, uh, even like how you know how the markets have, have started off in the past couple of years, um, things get a little clouded and get a little bit more whipsawish. And sometimes it's better to just kind of raise some cash and lay back until things start to pan out and make a little bit more sense because that's what we've been dealing with is some just counterintuitiveness that we've been experiencing in the market for the past couple of years. You know, and this led me to what we were talking about earlier, rule number one, never lose money, never forget rule number one, this is rule number two. Well, if we were in an environment where government bonds was paying 9%, then a lot of people would be attracted to that. And and there and there's been times in my career when you could do that. And so there's a riskless return that would be that would be historically a good return. Unfortunately, that was occurring when inflation was at twelve, thirteen, fourteen. So you were losing, <laughs> losing to just inflation. like today. Mm-hmm. Just like today if you put too much in bonds versus what each individual person's inflation rate is. But What this really says is what y'all were talking about, is that if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket, if you're going to step out there and take that level of risk, then you are potentially putting yourself in a position to lose a substantial amount of your money and not have enough money to get back into the game, whatever game it is you're playing. 
But, so, but again, but again, we don't look at the market as no, a game. No, it's not a game. It's not a game at all. But if you are, if you're a trader, I would say a trader views the market somewhat as a game. I'd agree. If you're an investor, it's a serious game, and so each individual has to decide what type of is he a trader. Am I an investor, or is this trading money? Is this investing money? So you, there's various pools that you could be doing, but. One thing that you cannot do is you cannot sustain large losses and be a successful investor or trader. So whatever methods you use to reduce your losses, your risk, your risk, you're going to have to take that. And if you don't determine a system that allows you to do that, you are not going to be successful. In the long term, absolutely. And, and and see, that's the thing, Dad, is I think for some investors, maybe the traders that view the market as more of a game, more of action, more Vegas style, they have a couple of big wins where they knock it out of the park, and that boosts their confidence, that helps them boost their, their maybe their trading and investing ego psychologically. That's when they start pushing over pushing the chips further and further over the line and bigger amounts of chips, then they strike out. Then they take that loss and then their the psychological aspect of it might be a loss so bad that they say to heck with the stock market, I'm never getting involved in it again. And what we've always advocated and always tried to teach is about a proper balance, about diversification. As Jeff said, not putting all your eggs in one basket, spreading out that risk, or to use a technical term, spreading out your beta. But you can't just spread it out and forget it. You have to continue to actively manage it, actively monitor it. And if you don't, then you need to work with a firm that's going to do that. I learned many years ago that I was not a successful trader. Trading was not something that I was good at. I was good at looking at a longer picture. It fit my personality better to be an investor, plus by taking a longer-term view, thinking in terms in the stock market of actually owning the company that I was buying I found that that was more successful. And I learned that as a broker. I, I, I felt comfortable with that. What I didn't feel comfortable with was potential clients or new clients that had to have action. Because I don't necessarily think Wall Street is the best place to get action. I think you would be better off to go to Vegas because it doesn't require that much thinking if you need action. If you like to bet on football games. with If you need that fix. If you need that. And there are people that need that. But it, Wall Street can be a very dangerous place for people that need that type of fix. I have not run into that many successful people who have traded the market. I've run into many successful investors, very few successful traders. Well, and I think some some other points you made just a few minutes ago when we talk about risk capacity, about taking a big hit to your portfolio, and again, for continuing investor education, the older you get, the closer you get to your retirement, I guess, date and time as far as your age, your risk capacity gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, you know, and I've run into people who have have very large risk, you know, very small risk tolerance, their personal aversion to risk, but they have huge risk capacity. And when you run into that situation, it's really they have their money invested very lazily. It's, it's very lazy money. It's very 
4 and 5% returns when they should be taking advantage of their age. So the younger you are, the greater risk capacity you have. And so you have to really marry risk tolerance and risk capacity into one. Um, and that's, again, something else that we, that we try to teach. So just understand, as you get older, your risk capacity gets smaller, and you have to have your portfolio managed and allocated in a way that reflects that risk capacity. What you see on CNBC, and we don't spend that much time watching any of the other channels, but what we see on CNBC is a parade of traders, mm. parade of people looking for action, daily action, weekly action. Fast money. Fast money. You know, everything is geared towards trading. trading. Mm-hmm. That is that segment of the market. That is not a segment that Davidson Capital Management has ever participated in. Or would feel comfortable being in. And so when we sit here and we talk about what we see, we don't necessarily feel that that type of program serves the public to the extent it could. That's right. Well, with that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. So we'll take the break and when we come back, we'll be continuing our investor education. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to cover here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing talking about the best investment advice ever article that comes from Market Watch and the Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, Dad, I, as you were talking in the last segment, you know, you mentioned Jim Cramer's name. And I know there's a segment on his show that he loves to do where people call in and say, am I diversified? And they give him five stock names. And he'll either anoint it as being you're diversified or you're not diversified. And when I watch that, I, to me, it seems like it's a disservice to the investing public because what he is basically um, validating is that it's okay to put 20% of your money in one particular stock position, to hold five individual stocks, and as long as those five individual stocks are in five different industry sectors, then you're okay, you're safe. And I think that is some of the most dangerous advice you could possibly give with with his type of background and acumen as a money manager, or as a hedge fund manager, I should say. Well, I, I, I don't agree with it dangerous uh it's dangerous if you don't watch your eggs real close if you only got five uh, <laughs> you're making I mean, you're making big bets in, in on the, five in the, companies. in the beginning in the beginning when i created uh the philosophy uh it became apparent to me that i didn't ever want more than five percent in anything because i learned very quickly that if i bought Five percent of your assets in one individual well, position. Yes, if I bought ten positions, three point five of them were going to be losers. But I loved all ten, mm-hmm. and so when I got it out to twenty, then I'm going to have six losers in normal markets. Mm-hmm. And the key was having the six losers not be big enough losers to overset the profits that were in the other fourteen. 
Well, if I'm Jim Cramer and five is my diversification, I sure hope it's not my six losers because then my every five, those whole five positions would be losers. So to me, that was not enough positions to be diversified. That was very concentrated. And to be that concentrated, I don't want you to think you're diversified. You are not diversified with five positions. I mean, you might you are, be you might be diversified in the sense that you're in five different industry sectors, but you're making a very large bet on one company in that and, industrial sector. And I'll tell sector. you something else. If you limit yourself to that few of positions, you're either going to do extremely well versus the market, or you're going to do extremely badly. You're, you're not going to crash do average. You're either going to do real well or real bad. So it's either a home run or a strikeout. Now, you can't build a business on real bad. Mm-mm. Now, he was successful as a hedge fund manager because he was a trader. He was not an investor. Long term to him could have been one day. So when you hear him discuss that, I mean, he can't do a show and do Am I Diversified and have someone giving 20 positions. So some of his Am I Diversified is for TV. For, well, it's for TV. He did it first on his radio show. Mm-hmm. That's where it started. He did that on the radio show. You know, he used to do radio and TV. And his radio show was really a whole lot better than the TV show. He didn't do all that screaming and jumping around like he does. And he would just talk, which I found better for investors to listen to. He was more investor-oriented as opposed to trading. So us saying that we believe you ought to have 20 positions gets back to this fact that we don't want more than 5% of any person's assets in one position. And we say that even in your company stock. If you're investing in your company stock, the stock where you work. Three or 401k. Yeah, we don't want more than 5% of your retirement money in the company stock. And I don't care how great the stock is. Because I happen to have seen times in my life where I worked for companies where people put a lot much, lot more in that, and then the companies went out of business. They not only lost their job, but they lost their retirement. And I, I can tell you that Jeff and I see this doing portfolio, doing portfolio reviews a lot with the petroleum industry employees, putting a lot of their retirement nest egg through 401ks in their company stock. And it's great to be supportive and it's great to love where you work and love who your employer is but you also have to kind of be a little selfish and think about your own retirement needs and your own retirement nest egg and not take too big of a bet because again harkens back to Enron it harkens back to WorldCom I mean it harkens back to those employees years ago who lost their nest egg because there was a lot of cheerleading from upper level management to buy keep keep funneling as much money in it as possible not saying that any companies in existence today are you know doing some of the fraudulent things that that these companies were doing but you always have to look out for kind of number one i mean you have to look out for number one when you're saving for retirement and you know another thing that i like to teach particularly when it comes to long-term investing and when it comes to performance i always like to use the analogy is you have to look at your investment returns like a batting average like a batting average for a baseball player. You know, let's use Ted Williams or let's use Tony Gwynn. Uh, you know, rest, may he rest in peace. Let's use him as an example. You know, baseball players can get into the Hall of Fame 
with having a great lifetime batting average. But throughout their career, throughout the lifetime of them stepping up to the plate, they're going to have years where they underperform, where they don't have a good year at the, uh, up at the plate and they don't bat very well and they have low numbers. And then they're going to have other years where they have some average years. And then they're going to have some great years where they're knocking the cover off the ball. But what determines whether or not a baseball player gets into the Hall of Fame is their lifetime batting average, and it's the combination of all of those years and how they've performed. It's the same thought process and the same thought pattern you need to have when it comes to investing. You're going to have some below-average years. You're going to have some just average years, and you're going to have some great years. But the key is is to have more great years than bad and average years to get your portfolio to the Hall of Fame. Well, here's a little commercial coming in here. 25, this is our 26th year, and I was talking about I'm starting my 38th year as a manager. There was 12 years in there before Davidson Capital Management was formed in which I developed our philosophy, and I developed it managing money under three or four different corporate situations where I learned what was working and what wasn't working. And, you know, I learned on other people's money, so to speak. But I learned through those years that 100% equity made no sense. 100% bond made no sense. But the two could work together in combination. But what I found was there wasn't, there were fixed income people and there were stock people. There wasn't both. You didn't see the hybrid you didn't see the manager that could do both sides. And so as I, as I developed our philosophy, I learned that it made more sense to be 10 years and under. It made more sense to stick with quality because by sticking with quality, you took risk out. By having stocks and bonds, you took risk out. And by doing that, you raised your batting average. You made the hole shallower when you were losing in stocks, you were making in bonds. And so in the beginning, oh, yeah, everyone knows the most money you can make is to be 100% in the stock market. And it works really good until 1987 rolls around and it goes down 25% in one day. That doesn't work very well. That wipes out a number of years in about four hours. And you learn, hey, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And same thing in the late 90s. Oh, yeah, it was wonderful when the dot-coms were going crazy, but it didn't look real good late in 2000, 2001, and two. And, you know, staying the course was really great in January, February, March of 2008. It wasn't very great in November, December 2008. Or, or January, February. there might not be a course to <laughs> stay. You might not have had enough course to, to, to have a meal. Well, and again, that goes back to what we talked about a few segments ago about the psychological damage. And I know that we've talked on past shows here on Money Wise where we've talked about the psychological effects when you take these kind of losses and how, again, it, it creates that emotion and that fear. And when fear and emotion start combining into your portfolio, it keeps you sitting on the sidelines or it keeps you less invested in stocks to to really try to achieve and reach your goal for whatever you're saving for, and we're still seeing that today. I mean, again, we're seeing it today because we see the volatility. If there's more participants, more investors in this market, more mom-and-pop investors, we wouldn't see this extreme levels of volatility that we've been seeing. 
if we tax day trading, we wouldn't have this extreme volatility. Or if having. we tax high frequency trading or got Which high would, frequency well, trading under control. That's that's what I'm saying. That would take care of that problem. The problem is is that high frequency trading is paying the note for the New York Stock Exchange. That's how they're making their money. They are never going to go against that. For something to change in that market, it's going to have to come from outside. It's not going to come from within Wall Street. Well, really what we have to have, Dad, is we have to have a nonprofit exchange. We have to well, have yeah. a nonprofit you exchange. You guys will see that. I'm, I'm convinced. You think Jeff and I will see a I nonprofit really think exchange you, I really think you in our career. See that in your lifetime, you will see a national market. I mean, because that will take away the incentive for the high-frequency yes. trading. I, I, and it'll be I welcome. It'll be somewhere in the central part of the country, away from Wall Street. I, I welcome that day. I welcome the day to where we see a nonprofit exchange and maybe just a one central exchange. Let me correct him. Jeff may not see it. I think you will see it, Kyle. <laughs> well, we're not that far away in age, so it's only about ten, less than ten, 10 years. years in there. All right. Well, let's take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So going back to this article, there was a couple of other statements, and these actually come from Ben Franklin, and and one of them is, an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. And again, one of the reasons why we started this radio show back in late 2005 was because it gave us a podium, it gave us a platform to provide education because there's just uh, there's such a lack of education out there and it seems like a lot of the education that is available has a particular bent you know it's trying to push you in a certain direction as an investor to buy an investment product that's being sold by the uh financial legacy distribution system you know as we like to call it it always seems that education is kind of pushing you one direction or another and we're trying to provide unbiased education and as we always say to all investors is that, you know, there are so many tools available online for you to educate yourself. You know, when a, a pitch sounds too good to be true, it, it most likely is. And there's a lot of vehicles out there to help you to educate yourself. And so as Benjamin Franklin says, an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. You really have to you have to really let that kind of soak into you. And utilize the tools available. You know, if you want to look up the broker that you're working with, go to brokercheck.com. You know, someone's pitching you an investment product. Before you sign on the line and which is dotted, look it up. Do some research. Educate yourself. You know, as we say, if you can't explain it to a 5-year-old or a 10-year-old in two or three minutes and get them to understand it, then you're probably it's not a good idea to buy. Um Another statement is beware of expenses. A small leak will sink a great ship. And, boy, how many times have we seen that, Jeff? You know, expenses is 
one thing that is easiest to control if you understand that you're getting charged more more fees than than you think you are to begin with. And I see this a lot with we see this a lot with annuities. Um, annuities, I think, are probably one of the biggest drains. challenges. I would say drains on, know, on the, assets. The biggest challenges to a portfolio being successful is is owning an annuity inside that portfolio, because you're you're basically guaranteeing that you will never even equal a market average performance. Because the fees and expenses built into the, the, the annuity itself, even if it has the best possible investment options, and trust me, the average annuity does not have the best, the best uh, investment choices possible. When you add up average investment choices with high expenses, you're guaranteed to be below average consistently year after year after year after year. And they're still sold. They're they're still successfully selling them to investors every single day. And we've in the ten years that we've done this show, we've almost made this our personal uh, mission. Mission. There you go. <laughs> it's a personal mission. To, to, Crusade. To, yeah, I like that. To steer Crusade. people away from these types of investments. Now, there's also many other violators. You know, aver- uh, uh, the the average loaded mutual fund carries uh, an initial sales charge that's equal to multiple years of professional full-time investment management just to buy into the mutual fund itself. They, you know, a minimum, you know, anywhere from 2 to 3% to almost as much as 6% uh, is very common in an upfront sales charge. Another thing is buying stocks. You know, just buying stocks through a full service broker. And you're you're the average ticket price that I see from an from a full service broker is about two percent of the gross purchase. And that is outrageous. So, you know, for five thousand dollar purchase, you're paying two hundred and fifty dollars in transaction costs. I mean that's 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 a that's Twenty times more. That's twenty times more you'd pay at a at a at a discount brokerage firm. You better be getting good advice if you're paying that kind of fee. Well, well, if that broker is giving you good advice and covers the two percent, that's one thing. But you and I both know, unfortunately, the vast majority of them do not. Well, the one thing again, talking about fees and and what I I like to to do for any individual investor out there is to understand the two big types of fees. You have your hard dollar fees and your soft dollar fees. Your hard dollar fees are your upfront commissions. You know, those are the commissions that you see when you buy that mutual fund or you buy that stock and you pay that commission and you see it come right off the right off the top. You see that difference in what you're investing and what you actually paid and what was actually invested. That's a hard dollar cost. But where annuities, where non traded real estate investment trusts uh, where even mutual funds, once you get past that initial sales fee, really get their investors or get their clients is on the soft dollar side. Those are the fees that are accrued daily and taken out daily that you never see. When you get your statement from your, annu- from your annuity, 
that's net of those soft dollar fees. When you get a statement about your stocks or your individual mutual funds, it's net of those soft dollar fees. Those are the fees that you don't see. Those are the fees that you also need to be asking about. And if you're sitting down and someone's pitching you an annuity and you ask them, well, what are the soft dollar charges, they're not going to know what to do. They're not going to know what to do, and they're going to start trying to provide you with the half-truths of what you're actually well, they're, spending. Well, they're going to focus on these guaranteed returns. The G word. Yeah, the, yeah they're going to focus on the G word. Which, again, is not a guarantee. It's just a promise, and it's only as good as the company providing the promise. They're going to say, don't you want 5% a year guaranteed income for the rest of your life? Don't you want that, Mr. or Mrs. Customer? And it's not quite that simple. Nope. And what they're talking about is the published interest rate, which changes monthly. It's just that hook to get you to sign on that line, and which is dotted to get you into that long surrender charge penalty period so they can lock your assets up. So you have to understand the difference between hard dollar costs and soft dollar costs. And soft dollar costs are in the prospectus. Soft dollar costs are in the information, but you have to know what you're looking for and you have to dig deeper, as we've always said from day one on this program. And to really summarize this hour is you have to dig deeper well, and use the tools available to educate yourself yeah, before number, you make that number investment Number one, decision. be diversified. Number two, know what you own. Do the research. Dig deeper, as you say. And number three, have a, always have a mind on what it's costing. That's right. Okay, and with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.